Hello, welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast where we share stories, insights and strategies that go beyond some of the numbers we encounter in our work life. I'm Susan Lee-Trivon. I work with organisations who put people first. I've lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't. People who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. And together with my guests, we place a lens on and focus in on the people side of work life. Because we know that it is people who do the work, not numbers. And if we are treated well, we will perform well and might even generate better numbers. Well, today I am delighted to welcome Mason Cosby to Life Beyond the Numbers. Mason, you're so welcome. Well, thank you for having me. Super excited to, to dive in and have this conversation today. Cool. And before we start, where exactly are you in the world? I am in Indianapolis, so a little suburb outside of Indianapolis. And if anyone has tuned in any of my live streams, there's a wall of maps behind me that tell my life story through maps of the important locations in my life. So Indianapolis is one of them. Okay, and what are the others? Uh, Birmingham, Alabama, which is where I was born and raised. Jackson, Mississippi, which is where I went to college and met my wife. Indianapolis is now where we live. And most interestingly, Ankara, Turkey, where uh, my wife was raised. Her family were missionaries in Ankara, Turkey for about uh, 18 years prior to that. They were in Singapore, which is where my wife was born. So uh, Southern Belle that is incredibly cultured and I am way out of my league. I am reminded every day when I get to see my beautiful wife that she is absolutely incredible and amazing and I'm blessed to have her. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> she, <laughs> That's lovely. I hope she knows that. Oh, sure every single does. day. I'm, I, I tell her. Good, good, good. And it was actually a previous guest of mine, Travis Scott, that introduced us. So we've never actually spoken before. And so when I was researching this episode, the thing that struck me most about you, I think, was your approach to helping. I mean, you have just an incredible generosity of spirit. And if we just take LinkedIn, it is so evident. I'm going to read out just to embarrass you a little bit. Much All right, well. I'm not going to embarrass you, but there's a few beautiful things people say. So first, I think you have, I'm open to helping on your profile. I didn't even know that was an option. So it's really interesting to see that. But then people say you have a desire to learn and help. Your character and compassion towards other transcends every action you carry out. You are a true people person, able to build genuine connections with others and serve them in valuable ways. And even when you look through your career, there's lots of volunteering and it's all about helping. So where does that come from? Specifically when it comes to helping and marketing, for starters, I'm Sorry, I just, it's been a minute since I've actually read any of those. So it's a, an incredible reminder of the kindness of others to actually even say that about me. But when, when I look at my my career and trying to help others, and when COVID hit, I was laid off. And when I was laid off the month prior, I had gotten engaged and I had bought a house. Wow. We were married very young and my wife was still in college. So uh, engaged with me being the only way to support a future family was, was pretty rough. There was about four months where I, 
applied to over a thousand jobs, went to upwards of 150, maybe 200 interviews, had people telling me they wanted to hire me, but that they couldn't because they were on a hiring free. There was a very distinct moment where I got the layoff email the day after my wife's birthday. And then she drove or in fiance's birthday at the time yeah. and she drove off and I didn't know the next time I would see her. Oh. And there's a weight that I still feel very strongly on my chest of what that experience was like. So knowing that and recognizing where I was in my career, being as young as I was, I really didn't have any connections. I didn't have anyone that as much as people wanted to help, there wasn't any, any resource that I found that was like, hey, here are the individuals that will go above and beyond to help you get connected. So when I got to a point in my career where I started to interface with really I mean, high level individuals, I mean, VPs, CMOs, I recognized, okay, these people actually are all very kind. Like they have a genuine heart and desire, but they're all super busy because they're like running companies. So how can we create something that is designed to enable them to still help others that are younger in their career that maybe want to transition into marketing? Like how can we provide an opportunity for them to still offer that help? And say, hey, if you are looking for someone that can help you get connected, like I'm happy to be that connection for you and identify those people and then provide them a platform to make that known. And that's where really the concept of the marketing ladder, which is my own podcast came from. And it's a passing project. It's not a business. Like there's no revenue off of it. So I don't really have the money to spend on advertising. So how else do I get the word out? But through LinkedIn. So my, my personal platform and profile and all of it has been now geared towards helping others build their career and make them aware of all these wonderful people that want to help them. And I think the other thing that's been beneficial is I happen to also be a marketer myself. Like I am in my career as well. So everything that I throw out is coming from a place of I'm in it with you versus I've been there. I'm actively learning how to also grow my career. Back in my day, it was like, this is right now. How am I growing? So anyway, that's kind of where all that wrapped up. And I think that that's how it is now taking shape today in my career of how I'm trying to help others. Amazing. And I mean, we're talking about two years ago as well. The pandemic, this time two years ago, literally, mm -hmm. we were getting locked up here in the UK or locked in, I should say, rather than locked up, but it felt like being locked up at times. And so it's fascinating to hear that. I'm not, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but was helping something that was always part of your DNA. I would say yes, but I mean, it, it takes different forms. I mean, let's, let's call it what it is. When I was in high school, it was radically different than when you're in the professional world or when you're in college. And when you're in college, like you, you've got two to three hours of classes on a given day, you've got some, some homework and then you can look around and say, man, I've got like 20 hours a week of expendable time that I can spend however I would see fit. So helping, like there was more time in the day, but when you're a professional that has a mortgage and a family, the time to help is significantly less. So to put it bluntly, like you have to figure out how you can help others that makes sense within the context that you are, because you just don't have as much time. So it's figuring out what are the for lack of a better word, scalable ways that you can help more people. Because I used to hop on one-on-one -on -one calls and I would lose doing it for free. I mean, I would lose 10 hours a week just trying to help people. And it wasn't sustainable. Whereas I hop on a podcast with someone that's actually hiring someone, they can actually change. I'm not hiring anybody right now. 
Whereas if I hop on a one hour podcast, I can help that one individual that's on the podcast probably schedule 10 interviews. And out of those 10 people, one of those people actually get a job. And regardless of what happened, they understood maybe a viable way to grow their career. So it's now sustainable and scalable. And I mean, in a roundabout way, it's actually helping drive business for the organization I'm a part of. It's beneficial in every way, which makes it long-term even more helpful. Absolutely. And beneficial for you as well is you know before we started recording we were talking just about how much you learn from the people you talk to so you're learning but you're also bringing that learning to the world it's crazy when you start saying things in public the phrases that started getting repeated back to you so one of the phrases I threw out was like I'm bullish on kindness and somebody asked me what I meant by that I said if you send me a message I'm going to do everything in my power to try to respond barring like a cold LinkedIn DM where you're trying to sell me something. But like, if you ask a question, I'm going to do everything in my power to respond. Or for example, learning in public was another phrase that I threw out that I've started to hear constantly thrown back at me. And I'm tagged in posts now that say like, you know, this concept of learning in public where it's transitioning from being this expert that truly doesn't actually know what they're talking about to just saying, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm learning actively and I'm going to bring everyone along with me and just share the lessons that I'm learning and make people aware of where they can also go learn these lessons. That's, that's such a, I'm almost stuck for words, which is a very rare occurrence, to be honest with you. But it's, it's, there's a couple of things there, bullish about kindness. Last week or the week before I was somewhere and the IT director was reading a book about kindness. And it's phenomenal to even hear that word being used more on a daily basis, because I believe it's our natural state that actually you're so interdependent that kindness is huge and being bullish about it makes it sound important, like it really does. So I love that. But also the learning in public has a certain humility and vulnerability about it that often we're not great and and maybe I can speak for my generation instead of yours but we're not great at admitting we don't know everything or that we have still got things to learn which is daft because obviously nobody ever knows everything so it's brilliant and I'm, it's exciting that people do this stuff so thank you yeah it's been genuinely my pleasure and my joy because What's I think been more enjoyable for the first couple of years that I was on LinkedIn, I tried to be this expert that I really wasn't. And now that I'm being honest of I'm on a journey myself and I'm inviting others to join in, we hop on calls. I still do that on occasion and I hop on calls with people and they say, it's like I've known you for years because they've been engaging with my content and it's the same person. It's not a front. It's, it's created in a, a, a small community in an environment where I actually like have genuine friendships with people that are my ideal customer long-term, but also I have genuine friendships with people that are also growing in their career and I get to help them and watch them grow. Yeah, amazing. And we talk about life as a journey or we're all on journeys and it, it becomes this cliche and it's not because everything really is about the journey it's about the process it's about taking that next step and I don't know if you know this guy what's what I'm thinking about now is is it well he, I think he's passed away but Ram Das 
And his philosophy was, we're all just walking each other home. Hmm. And that reminds me of what you were talking about is like everybody needs that helping hand to get where they want to go on their journey. And that's what you're offering. Yeah, at least I'm trying. So far, it seems to be helpful to, to some. And the other beautiful thing about building a podcast is it like the advice is still now there. It's its own little time capsule and people will, will eventually find it and then they'll have the opportunity to bend. And that's why I'm intentional with the podcast that we're building to, to offer genuine practical career advice and not just say like, here are the roles people are hiring for right now. So there is still that piece, but it's kind of both. And um, so if you're looking for a job today, Hey, we we've got roles that, that are people are looking to fill. If you're looking to long-term understand what it looks like to build a career so that you can become a CMO or a VP or whatever you want to accomplish, it's also there. Cool. And that's nice time capsule because I saw somebody else talk about a library and I, I agree. I think having a podcast, you know, sometimes I think about, oh my God, you know, the numbers are a bit low and I wish that episode had done better. And then suddenly out of the blue, an episode from seven months ago will just start going up because people are telling other people, you've got to listen to this episode. And it's evergreen, even if it's topical. I think that's the thing, isn't it? And it's wonderful because unlike a book, and I'm a big reader, you can listen to a podcast doing anything else. And you can go back and listen to it again and find that piece that you need really easily. But... You also have a full-time job. I do. And, and you love it, from what I gather. I do. So tell um, us about your job. Yeah, so my, my full-time day job is I work as the dedicated marketer of a marketing agency, which means I market marketing services to marketers. And there's a lot of ways you can take that approach. I could create all these gated eBooks and just run a bunch of paid ads. But if we're being honest, I think everybody's been burned by a marketing agency that sent them an ebook and then they they downloaded it and got 17 emails in the same day. And you're like, this is awful. So the approach that I take is, and interestingly enough, it's genuinely trying to experiment myself, learn as much as I can. And then I host highly tactical workshops on a monthly basis where I then lay out what I'm learning. So there was one we did back in January called content strategy for rapidly scaling companies. And I walked through the content strategy that I've been using for, for our own agency for the past, you know, six months that resulted in 30% growth and people loved it. And what I'm finding is when you are genuinely helpful, I mean, I don't have actual statistics. Like this is just how I feel it's working. So please take this with a grain of salt, but 10% will buy after they see the information. 80% will do nothing with it, but will continue to actually enjoy the content and generally say like, oh, this is good information. And then the other 10% will go and run with it and then point to you as their reason for success. So I'm totally fine knowing that 90% of the people that engage will probably never even come close to purchasing a product. But the fact that we are helping to shape the way that people are thinking about how they go to market and what they need to do in order to grow their business, they will over time continue to point back to us over and over and over again. And that becomes an exponential brand play that then results in the long-term growth of the business while also still delivering on the short-term. We're hitting our goals today, but you can also feel it in the market of we're starting to get tagged in posts. Like we're coming up in conversations. People are messaging me every week saying, hey, this was super helpful. 
So when you have those things where you previously didn't, eventually people will come in droves and continue to buy from you. It's crazy, isn't it? I mean, it kind of goes against everything that business school (laughs) would have probably taught us. It's not about giving it away for free. It's commercial and confidence. It's a secret. There's a hidden formula, whatever it is, people have to pay, pay, pay. But actually you're saying, give it away. Some people will still pay because they won't be able to do it themselves. And more people will talk about you because they've been able to have success by following what you told them to do in the first place. And it may not even be that they can't do it themselves because let, let's be candid, almost anything can be Googled. And with enough time, you can learn nearly anything. The component that's missing though, is that time piece. So for sure, you can go run with anything I give you. And within the span of like six months to a year, you could probably actually do it better than I could if I'm being completely candid. Mm. But you may not have six months to a year to, to go and learn it yourself to then start executing. So that's where the rub comes in of, I need the results now. So I'm going to go with people that have actually shown me how to do it because I trust that they know what they're doing. Absolutely. And I think that's what I meant. Can't wasn't the right word either. Because I think (laughs) any of us are the same in the business as we do is that we can all learn. You can learn it. But having somebody walk alongside you and actually help you understand how to do it is really valuable. (laughs) I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? And yeah, so I suppose there's a need. That's the thing. There's always a need and time is always one of those things and deadlines. And, and how can we do this now? How can I yes. get better at this now? And then I might as well go to Mason because I know he's done it ahead of me. And I yeah. think that's probably what it comes down to. And I'm sorry, I'm just super passionate about career building in general. Yeah. The same thing applies to your career. So I, I look at every single job posting as somebody just simply saying, I have a problem, I need somebody to come solve it. So like if, if you learn the highly tactical skills that can then come in and deliver results and you frame yourself as the solution to a problem that's a job posting, you'll get the job. <laughs> like, I love the way how simple that is. That's honestly why I think I have any sort of decent career advice is because it's really a lot like marketing. <laughs> and that's, but I think if you work that out, and I'm talking about myself here, of course, when you work that out, hindsight's a wonderful thing. But often because things are close to your own heart or you want to show how much you know about the topic, you kind of use too many words or too many sentences like I'm doing now with this question um, to get across your point. You know what I mean? Or you're so passionate that you want the other person to share in that. And actually clarity, somebody said to me the other day, clarity is so attractive because when you can get your point across very succinctly and simply like anyone can understand it, it just opens doors. Mm-hmm. So early in my career, I had the, the great blessing of becoming a StoryBrand certified guide. I don't know if you're familiar with StoryBrand. I love StoryBrand. Essentially taught me the foundation of marketing, which is messaging is the beginning. And if you don't have the right messaging and people don't understand what you actually do or sell or who you are, then the rest of it doesn't matter. Like you can have the greatest ad placement ever 
But if nobody knows what you're selling, it doesn't matter. And again, I look at myself and I don't say this, this bluntly to anybody else, but essentially like I am a product on the open market and the job postings are simply people asking, I need a product that can fill this role and I'm willing to purchase this product. And if you put yourself through the story brand framework as like they have a problem, I can be the guy that leads them to a solution. Again, you'll get the job. So I actually form any resume that I create through the story brand framework as problem solution oriented. And I'm the solution to their problem. I literally said on a deck that I built for the job that I have right now, you need Mason Cosby. And I outlined the points of why they needed me specifically. It got wow. me the job. That's brilliant. I've read Donald Miller's book and I have used the, because you can access this wonderful story brand mm -hmm. methodology on the internet and you can put in everything and build your story brand. So that's fantastic. Like, way to think about your CV as because it is telling your career story isn't it and the story like you said of how you can solve that problem and it, it doesn't just work for marketing my wife is a nurse I ran her through the same process so her her pitch is that she's a, a nurse that can overcome cultural barriers because of her background having been overseas for literally 18 years of her life and then constantly coming back but to the U.S. every summer like she understood what it was like to live overseas, to work with refugees, to work with different people across different cultures, and to have to constantly adjust to different cultural contexts. That is something that uniquely qualifies her as a nurse to overcome cultural barriers. So anybody can do it. It's not just for marketing, but it's just having the mindset of what unique problem do I solve as an individual that then makes me uniquely qualified to fill the role that's being asked to be filled. And just because, because it does sound simple, it doesn't mean it's easy. No. I think that's the thing. It's back to that clarity of thinking. And often it is working with someone else who can help you go through all that kind of drudge to unpack that. I mean, if your wife had done this on her own, would she have come to the same conclusion? I can say no, because my wife, I, I love her. Obviously, she is my wife, but I just summarized what took literally four hours to come down to. And it was a lot of identifying what are you actually passionate about? What do you enjoy? What are you good at? And running through a series of frameworks, not just one, but a series of frameworks to get down to her career passion and then appropriately frame it in such a way that it made sense to an employer. Like it was a process. <laughs> It's really interesting. And one of my previous guests, and she's in the US, actually, Megan House is her name, and she does career storytelling. So she helps people unpack all of these stories that are in their career to like, just like what you're saying, to build it back up so that you're threading together all those pieces that you maybe take for granted yourself and don't see the story don't see that actually your superpower is overcoming cultural barriers yeah so it... recruitment is broken the way we look at cvs and all of that stuff and it's something i talked to travis about but it's something i believe really really strongly in is that a cv is it's a piece of paper and anyone can write it and how do you bring it to life that's essentially what you're doing and life beyond the numbers as well because it's about the experience you have and some of it 
isn't just about the results and outcomes. It's about you and your unique selling point. So I would actually take a step back. And before we even look at the resume, how are you making yourself known in the market? Again, that's like, if you look at what I'm doing, as much as I genuinely am helping other people, if I ever needed to transition my job, I've spoken with 60 marketing leaders that are all looking to hire that have a one-to-one relationship with me. I've built an audience of marketers that other marketing leaders would literally pay to have access to. I, by myself, have built the ability to continue to grow my career should anything happen. And I want to be clear, I love my job. Like I have no intention to leave, but I also am very aware of that feeling of what it was like to be laid off and have no potential prospects of where I was going to go next and to sit there for four months on a couch applying for jobs. That is still a very real reality for me. So I've done everything in my power to not only help others avoid that, but to make sure that my family is never in that situation because the responsibilities only increase from engagement. Like engagement was rough, but I can't imagine doing that with four kids and a mortgage. So that's it. And I'll be clear, probably at least once a week, maybe every other week, I have somebody ask if I'd apply for a job. So at this point, people are not recruiting me based on my resume anymore. I still have a resume, like it's still a piece, but the conversations go far better when you have someone that's asked you to apply than when you are sending out cold resumes. And I've done both. Like that's how I got my first job in marketing. I literally applied to, again, over a thousand jobs. Like I've done it. But I can tell you right now, if I needed a job, I don't have to send out a thousand resumes. I can probably ask 10 people and one of them will probably hire me. So that's the unexpected answer that I don't know that you were looking at. But as far as the resume in and of itself, what I do is essentially a profile summary at the top. That's two to three sentences that gives a a bit of character and tells the story in and of itself. And from there, the roles are the data points that support the story I've told at the top. And for example, for me as a marketer, that is sourced revenue, which means like revenue that marketing brought in, sourced pipeline, like customer lifetime value, and then the specific activities and tactics that we used to then achieve those results. So there is still the importance of the data points because the data tells the story, but the fact that you give two to three sentences at the beginning that frame you as someone that clearly understands a problem they're trying to solve and then uses the data to support that you are the solution then results in you getting a callback and another interview. What's been interesting with using this kind of a resume is the conversation is less interview-based and it's more consultative. Like it's two professionals having a conversation about how to solve the problem more so than can you do the job? Because through the resume and through the story that I've told, the question of can I do the job has typically been answered already. And it's now, how do you do the job here? I, I love, first of all, the unexpected answer. Because I, well, it's a great way to think about things. And it is the way, hopefully, the world moves. Yeah, so that's one thing. But also what you say about... Yes, of course, the, the data that you present underneath backs up the story. It's the proof, the evidence that you know what you're talking about. 
And what I love there is what you say is when you get into the interview, then it's the conversation between two professionals. It's a consultation on, well, if you come in here, how are we going to do this here? And it kind of shifts the balance in your favor. Yes. Then the other thing that I always recommend to people, which rubs some people the wrong way, is the best time to look for a great job is when you've got a good job. For the express purpose that when I was unemployed, I took the first opportunity and it ended up being a very toxic work environment. I was lied to in the interview process about what the company actually did. So I ended up working in a company that was somewhere where I morally disagreed. And while I was there, I can, like I never stopped job searching, but while I was in a job, I figured, okay, I've got this. This is stable for right now. Let me find a place that's great. And that's how I've ended up in my current role. And I mean, if we're being honest, like the reason that works way better is because you have the ability in the interview process to say, you know, I don't think this is going to be the best option for me. And you can walk away. Whereas if you don't have anything, you just need to get something. So again, it's more consultative because it's less about like, can I get this job? And it's more of, is this the best opportunity for everybody involved? Yeah, and I think that's the thing about the job, the recruitment, the side of it is the the employer always seems to have the power. And actually, most employers would be damn lucky (laughs) to hire half the people that walk around this planet or all of the people. And there has to be a better way of doing it. And we don't look at the humanity. We go through a checklist. I'm saying we, because I'm not doing it now, but it's kind of what happens is an interviewer will go through a checklist, but might not engage. So then when somebody like you comes along, Mason, with what you've outlined there and that your resume is telling a story, it stands out from the crowd. And then it reframes, short wires, whatever, something in our brains to go, oh, this is a bit different. I have to stop here. And also I might let go of my checklist when I'm interviewing because it's not just another run of the mill. And I remember actually doing an interview because I trained with um, the big four accountancy firms way back and they were big six then. And I remember sitting in an interview and I was on what they called the milk round. And so you were a graduate in university and you were going to the big six for interviews. And I was down to the very last chance I had to get a job. Hmm. And I sat on the train going from Galway to Dublin, thinking to myself, you know what? If I run through, because we'd been trained how to answer interview questions. If I do that, I'm not going to get this job because I haven't got one so far. I need to completely shift how I answer these questions. So I'm in with a partner who's like probably 55. And he says to me, so Susan, where do you see yourself in five years? The usual question. And I said to him, do you know what? I absolutely hate that question. And he says, so do I, but I used to always get asked it. And now I'm just having my own back. Let's talk about something else. (laughs) And we ended up having this amazing conversation and I got a job offer. And I honestly believe it was because I was myself 
and I answered authentically and I've stood out from the carbon cutout of youngsters in suits who didn't know what they were talking about. Yeah, whenever I get asked the question of where do you see yourself, I'm actually very blunt, which is long term, I'd love to, to have a business where I'm actually equipping people to live the life that they are truly called to live more so than the job they feel they need to be living. And that's probably gonna be in the next 10 years. So right now, what I need to be doing is growing my career to a point where I can then have a variety of experiences. So I can actually speak into where people are versus have coming from this place of I don't know what you've actually been experiencing, which lights people up typically because they know that they're going to get someone that's driven and motivated to actually succeed because they are trying to chase something that's far larger than just a paycheck. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what you said about looking for a job and thinking, let me find a place that's great. When you find that place, you know you're there. That's the other thing. And when you have those niggling doubts and those like, mm, this place is a bit weird or whatever. Yeah. Trust your gut. <laughs> yes. I, there's nothing really to add, like for sure, just trust your gut. There's always more opportunities. And there's a good friend of mine now that has explained you spend 90,000 hours of your life at work. Do work that matters. And that's like, that's it. <laughs> That's so simple as well. I mean, I, I you know, I, I firmly believe that, that to have a more fulfilling work life, you do work that matters and you find work that matters to you mm -hmm. because it has to matter to you. You could be a doctor and that work matters, but if it doesn't matter to you, then you're not going to be happy doing that role either. So I, I absolutely agree that finding what lights you up, what lights up your employer that makes the perfect match. And that's a transient. We don't go into a job for life now. You might end up staying there and you might love it, but make the most out of it. There are so many opportunities to have a fulfilling work life. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that if we go back to LinkedIn, I'd like to go back to LinkedIn, actually, sure. because... I was reading a number of your LinkedIn posts. I actually had to stop myself at February because there were so many and I was so, they were fantastic. I love them. And again, I think it's the crispness, the clarity and so on. But one of the things I, that really resonated for me was quantity and consistency. Yeah. So I think people don't post on LinkedIn or really quite frankly, they don't do anything that they know they should do long-term because when they're doing it right now, it's not where it should be. It's not the quality that they're looking for. So I, at this point on LinkedIn, I'm just shy of 6,000 followers as of this recording. I typically get anywhere from 30 to a hundred likes, 10 to sometimes upwards to 60 comments. I'm typically reaching anywhere from, depending on the post, 2,000 to 10,000 people, which for me is fantastic. A year ago, I would get zero across the board. I'd reach a hundred people. We've got Grammarly for my work. And according to Grammarly, I've in the past year written over 3 million words. So the quality that I now have is as a result of having written lit, not hypothetically, literally over 3 million words. And that's just in the past year. I've been posting it consistently on LinkedIn 
for roughly two and a half, three years. And it's really only been until the past six months to seven months that I really hit my stride and started to grow. So as a result of having started to grow, I now understand what it is to write well for LinkedIn. Well is a relative term, but I write decently well for LinkedIn as a result that gets further engagement for pulling people into my podcast or pulling them into our workshops or whatever that needs to look like because they they like my stuff on LinkedIn. So they're like, well, if you like it here, we'll probably like it in a more long form. And then I've just been writing now constantly for about three years. So the content is exponentially better than the first blog that I wrote, which was terrible. I mean, it was just awful. You can actually go find it, but I would not be where I was today if I overthought and I tried to, to get the perfect quality the first time. Instead, I just send it, see what happens. And I, I used to really overthink it and say like, oh my goodness, what if people see it and they hate it? But there's so much noise out there that if it's something's bad, we just tune it out. Like we don't even remember it. And if something's good, we might remember it. And I, I, like, I hate to say that bluntly. So if you make something and it completely bombs, it's a blip on your radar only for probably a day. And then you do something again tomorrow and that might work. And then it's a blip on a couple of people's radars and you keep doing that consistently until eventually, like it's a blip on a lot of people's radars. And then if you continue to show up as a blip on a lot of people's radars for an extended period of time, they'll then know you and they'll recognize the value that you bring. And then they will reach out for help or they will just refer people your way. But it starts by having the confidence to screw it up consistently for a long time, knowing that probably no one's going to see it and that's okay. And eventually when you really get down what you want to talk about, what people find value in, how you effectively communicate, and what resonates with people, great. You've had years of practice to really hone that in and get to a point where you've actually got the quality, but it didn't come because you got it perfect the first time. You had to get the quantity to get quality. It's such a great lesson, I think, or piece of advice or whatever you want to say. I mean, I really think it is. And it's, it's even a bit like podcasting, isn't it? The first episode, first time you do it, you know, like, oh my God, what's going on here? And then as time goes by, your confidence builds and that's what happens, isn't it? Competence comes with practice. And we have this thing, practice makes perfect. I mean, I don't believe there's any such thing as perfection, but you will improve. So have you made it a habit? Do you get up every day and fit writing into a specific part of your day? Or how, how did you beat that consistency or that rejection or that whatever at the beginning that, oh my God, nobody's watching. Yeah. For my job, we started to implement an account-based marketing strategy, which is essentially like you're going after specific individual accounts. So I started to connect with our accounts on LinkedIn and I realized, oh, you can only connect with up to a hundred people a week. So I started connecting and I was like, well, if I'm going to start connecting, I should probably be posting something on a consistent basis that's around the topic of marketing. The problem is the people I'm connecting with are CMOs and VPs of massive organizations that are way smarter than me. So that is probably not the thing that I should talk about. I should figure out one, what will be a value to them? Two, what will I want to talk about long-term? And I had in my mind at that point of building something that would equip others to build a career and a life that they truly enjoyed. So I figured, okay, why don't I consistently post about marketing careers? Because if I can build an audience of people that are looking for jobs, 
all of my target accounts are eventually looking to hire people. So I can solve that problem for them peripherally. From there, if I'm gonna be connecting with 100 people a week and I'm going to need content that they can engage with, I just get up and I just know, okay, I'm gonna post something today. And it, unintentionally, it's become these content pillars. So every Monday and Thursday, I post about a podcast episode and I, I rise the podcast episode and I tag them. Tuesdays is typically something that's more highly tactical about how to better leverage LinkedIn to grow your career. Wednesdays is more in line with just some general advice that I've either been hearing in the market. It's typically some kind of commentary on the market and what's happening in the world. And then Fridays, I don't know how to say it. It's kind of typically something a little bit pithy, like it's short, it's direct. It's just something that's happened that week. It, and then I also do post fairly frequently on Saturdays. And what I found is that a lot of people generally love to see the, the personal side. So Saturdays is typically something more about like work-life balance or time with my wife. Like we, we tie-dyed socks this weekend. So I will likely make a LinkedIn post at some point of us showing off our socks and it's just dumb, but it shows more of the personality side and people get emotionally invested in my success because they're growing with me. So you do that from September to now March, and that's how you consistently build an audience and engage with people. So that's it. It sounds really simple. It's not as simple as I make it out to be. Well, actually, let me reframe that. It's simple. It's just not easy. Absolutely. I think that's the thing. You've laid out something that anyone can follow and we can all do it. It's just not always easy to do. But I like what you say about the personal side, because I do think it's really important to see the person, isn't it? Because it's you that they're buying into. I mean, people buy from people and that's absolutely true. So one of the things that I love is TikTok with your wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have found that a lot of people actually love that. Um, so again, she's a nurse. So I don't know what two professions have more acronyms than the medical profession and the marketing profession. Accountancy. <laughs> uh, valid. I've got a friend that's an accountant, so we can bring him in every now and then. But all that to say, I just throw a random acronym at her and I say medical or marketing, and she has to define what it is. And uh, working from home, and my side passion is a marketing podcast. So there's a lot of my life that's marketing related. So she hears the random acronyms like CRM, ABM, SEO. But I realize in the two years that I've worked from home, I've never actually defined what any of those things are because I'm speaking with other marketers. So like we all just know the acronyms. So she's vaguely familiar that these things exist. She has no idea what they mean. So I just throw acronyms at her and see what she can define. What's been really entertaining are the times where uh, there's a medical acronym that's also a marketing acronym. So like the four P's is apparently a thing for nursing as well. And it's way more gross than the four piece <laughs> for marketing. So yeah, it's, it's just been something dumb and funny, but what it's ended up actually doing is um, increase my following amongst medical technology marketers because they think it's funny because they're talking to medical professionals all the time. And it's the weird intersection of their life that no one really talks about. Yes. And, and I can see that as well, how in whatever profession or industry or role we're in, we have a set of acronyms that we carry around and we kind of just assume everybody else knows them. And it shines a light on that as well, that actually, how do you speak to people in simple terms that they understand? Because we don't share a similar language across industries. Yeah, it, it's been really funny 
to watch my wife respond to what is SEO. That one in particular got the best response because as marketers, SEO has been around since 2006, 2007 as, as a major staple of a marketing strategy. So we just all assume everybody knows what SEO is, but my wife been around me for two years and I've, I guess I've never actually defined what SEO is. But as soon as I defined it, she knew what it was. So just to, to say, sometimes don't use an acronym, like maybe spell it out. That's it, isn't it, really? Because, yeah, the acronym is a way to shorten it so you can speak in shorthand. But actually, once you spell it out, anyone can understand it usually. Because exactly. it is, yeah, no, really interesting. Mason, thank you for your openness and honesty and absolutely what I said right at the beginning generosity of spirit because I feel like I've gone on a bit of a journey with you today that I also need so I'm really happy I'm going to be making notes on this episode as I listen back to it and trying to implement some of the things you talked about so how does somebody connect with you yeah, the main one is, is LinkedIn. That's where I spend a lot of my time. And then the other one is if you are looking to build a career in marketing, I highly go recommend you check out the marketing ladder and it's on all the podcast platforms. We have currently out upwards of 40 episodes. I've already pre-recorded another 20 and I've got all the way through, I think episode 80 set up. And on top of that new episode type that we are starting is called get hired, where we bring back previous guests to exclusively talk through the roles that they are hiring for right now, what they're looking for. Cause especially in larger organizations, the hiring manager may not actually write the job description. It, it may be written by someone that's over in HR. So to have the hiring manager walk through exactly what they're actually looking for in a candidate and offer up the opportunity to connect with them directly is what that kind of episode is about. Wow, that's phenomenal. That's such an interesting concept. And I, I wish you the best with that. And I think the other thing that maybe I'd like to say is you are an advocate as well for people starting their own podcast. Unequivocally. <laughs> I, I had to use a gigantic word just to show how passionate I, I'm actually going on a podcast later this week called Personal Podcaster to talk through how building a podcast has dramatically affected my overall career growth. Yeah. And it's so easy to do as well. People really overcomplicate it. And if I may just, may I tell the quick story? Please do, please. Um, so very long story short, the marketing ladder was started because I made a joke in someone's LinkedIn comments that said, hey, should I do a live stream with somebody? And I said, I'll do one with you. And he happened to be a CEO of a marketing agency. And then another executive marketing director over at a company called Ramsey Solutions commented on it. Ramsey's got about a thousand employees and said, I'll do one with you as well. So I had two guests lined up on a podcast that had no topic or title. So I was like, what am I passionate about? Okay, marketing careers. And that, I've already shared that story. And then I ended up getting five more guests, including... James Carberry, Sangram Verge, my boss decided to come on the show. She was actually my first episode. So you got seven guests on a vague topic of walk through your career path and we'll plug roles at the end. And then I threw up a poll on LinkedIn that said, what should the title be? And the marketing ladder was a throwaway title. I didn't think anybody was going to vote for it. 90% of the votes were on the marketing ladder. And I think we had somewhere between 150 and 200 votes. And then I used the people that voted on the marketing ladder to say, hey, like your title one. And if they were a VP or CMO, I asked them to come on the show. So that's how I ended up getting the first 20 guests. And from there, I literally on the day of 
figured out about 15 minutes before I actually closed on my house the same day we started the podcast, which was not a good idea. Um, and figured out how to do the recording. And then after I recorded it, I recorded the first three episodes and didn't know how to actually edit the podcast. Um, so then I learned how to use GarageBand. And then to this day, we're 40 some odd episodes and I still don't have intro music or outro music and no one cares. It's literally just the audio. And I go in and I like edit out, like someone had a coughing fit on one of the live streams. So I edit that out. That's about it. And we, in three months, have hit over a thousand downloads. I've actually, as of this weekend, hit 1100 download, increased my following to 6,000 people. Like it, it's working. And again, I, I want to reiterate, not that I'm looking to leave my job, but I, people ask me to apply for a job for them about every other week sometimes once a week, not because they know the revenue that I've driven for the company that I work for. I don't publicly talk about that, but because they see me active on LinkedIn, they know I must know something and I have an audience of marketers that they want to get access to. Simple again, <laughs> not easy, but oh, amazing. That's a brilliant story. Absolutely. And for me, it's also about the learning as you go. Like you said, every guest I speak to teaches me something as well. And I think that is amazing to be able to have those conversations with people. I've learned more today than I'm like, my head is about to explode, but I've really, really enjoyed this conversation, Mason. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. And I'm gonna just say a quick thank you to Travis as well, who introduced us. Absolutely, thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed this. This was a, a blast. Thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone you know who would enjoy it too. I believe we are all entitled to enjoy our work and the future of work life will be changed by those who put people first and create more fulfilling work lives for themselves, their colleagues, their teams and organisations. If you have any suggestions for topics you'd like to have covered, guests you'd like to hear from, or questions for me, please drop a line to susan at beyond-thenumbers.com. And finally, please consider leaving a review.